Hi, this is Heidi, and this is Parent Town, a podcast where we explore stories of parenting in hopes that they can connect us and maybe make the world a little easier to understand. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Parent Town. This is Heidi. This episode of Parent Town continues to dive into this idea of body image. Our guest is Julian Lampford from the Emily Program. She is the chief strategy officer, which allows her to reach out directly to parents and families. In our conversation, we focus more on boys and men, which is getting some recognition, but certainly not represented enough in research and literature. Questions I had going into this were much like, how is approaching this topic of boys and men different? And is it? How do we as a society harbor a different attitude about body image and boys and men? And do you? Do I? And how does media play a role? In saying this, the goal of Parent Town is simple. It's sharing this power of story and how taking a moment to listen to others share their stories from currently parenting to being parented, to experts like Julian who share their knowledge and stories they can connect us and remind us that we're not alone. Maybe walk away with questions or even answers. Here is Julian's story. Julian, can you just give me your name and your position here at the EMILY program and what exactly the EMILY program does to help people? Sure. My name is Jillian Lambert. I'm the Chief Strategy Officer, which means I have a lot to do with thinking about how do we reach the community far and wide. So it's a really close to my heart thing to think about. What do we do for parents and families? So we do the full spectrum of treatment. If you have an eating disorder, we can treat it here at the Emily Program. We also try to do a great deal in terms of educating families and helping families to understand how to recognize problems that their loved one might be having and also how to support them. Because optimally, recovery needs a strong support system wrapped around the person and families can be such an integral part of that. And you and I were just chatting earlier. So as a society, we feel like maybe we're becoming more educated and aware of this pressure that girls and women have to achieve this distorted and kind of unrealistic image of how we should look and the damage that that can cause females long term. Mm -hmm. The research I was doing before meeting you this morning was there's just not a lot of research out there. There wasn't a lot, it wasn't very heavy for boys and for men, but we know that eating disorders are increasingly common in boys and men now. And can you tell me what you have seen in your work, not only today with your work, but in your 25 years of being in the field and maybe how that has changed? Sure. I think we think a lot about girls and women, right? We have these social stigma and stereotypes around how girls have to look and women have to look, and then girls' bodies go and go through puberty, and so many things change, and we think about supporting girls in that process, and we worry about it, and and I think we have some awareness of that. The same thing happens to boys, but in a little bit different way. So boys and men have 
really always had these stereotypes as well, that they're a little different than the stereotypes for girls and women. But for boys and men, it's are things like uh, being really muscular mm. or having a six-pack stomach or having being really lean, being tall and broad-shouldered and looking strong. Those mm-hmm. are sort of the unfortunately very lasting sort of stigmatized stereotype ideas for boys and men. So those have been pretty similar over time. I think one of the things that's changed is that those media images, those media images are so much more accessible, mm-hmm. right? They're on every web page. They're all over gaming. They're all over the internet. They're all over, uh, you know, magazines. And they're so ubiquitous mm. that boys and men see that just as often as girls and women see the images for them. So I think what's changed more so for boys and men than for the for the females is that the images are just as flooding of the marketplace as they have been historically for girls and, and women. And now males are sort of struggling even more mm-hmm. with well, what do I look like and how do I look and what do I think? And particularly as boys go through pubertal development as well, that their bodies change a lot. And mm-hmm. then they try to figure out, what does it all mean? Mm-hmm. What do I do? What's okay? Mm-hmm. And who's judging? That's one of the most interesting questions, I think, is who's looking? I think we think as as humans that everybody is looking at us, <laughs> but really nobody's looking at us because we're all worried about ourselves. <laughs> and so it's yeah. this perpetuating myth that somebody must be looking at me and judging me, except we're all so wrapped up in judging ourselves that actually fewer people are judging us than we think. Hmm. And so the the I think part of the reason why those pressures are so strong and the media images are so ubiquitous is to remind us that somebody might be looking and that we should be judging ourselves. So it's a fascinating sort of spin cycle we get in mm-hmm. that I think is important to interrupt, but just to recognize Absolutely. That. Well, and my next question for you, and you just hit it on the nail, was about this media mm-hmm. and the impact and how even in the last 10 years, everything is accessible mm-hmm. and we can get everything instantly. There's no, there's like instant gratification all the time and it is overwhelming with with images and like here's a great a great example i have a a son who's 10 and i think it was like the movie captain america or Mm -hmm. something and the whole movie well for the first part of the movie is him kind of as this you know a littler guy and you know he's but he's smart Mm -hmm. but he's little and somehow that is this constant um you know it bothers him it clearly is making him low on the societal Mm -hmm. ladder he's getting poked fun at and then there's a science experiment and he all the sudden is this amazing body and he's wonderful and he's helping and he's doing all of this and it's because of this body mm-hmm. and not necessarily the mind that he's always had and Catania will pick that up. He's like, I know that he needs this body and that's part of his superpowers, but I don't know. It was just an interesting start to a conversation right. that we had and it makes me think as a parent, you're just so much more aware mm-hmm. of the images that are a fire hydrant. You can't shut it off. Right. Another question I had for you, not only with the media, but you are always dealing with families and you're always dealing with parents. Would you have any advice to parents of boys what to look for, what those signs are? Because I'm just, I'm assuming it's very different or it can be different with, with sons and daughters. And also how to start that conversation. And is it different? Mm-hmm. I think the signs are almost pretty similar. Okay. Because they sound like 
a little bit of obsessing around food. Hey, mom and dad, I learned about this thing at school today and I want to change the way that I eat. Or, hey, dad, I let's go work out. I want to join that gym that you're doing or that martial art that you're doing or I really want to get more activity. Or I read something in my class that said I should be doing something with my food and eating. And those things come from all genders. I think the things that influence boys differently are that sort of, I want to be lean and I want to be muscular and I want to be ripped and I must have to do activity to do Uh, that. And so I think that our society perhaps tells girls and women that you should change the way you eat in order to achieve the quote-unquote perfect body. And there's a little bit of bias towards males and uh, sort of men and boys around, you need to work out to get it. So I think that's one of the differences, although certainly we tell, you know, males a lot about eating and women a lot about moving. But but I think that's one of the dividing lines is that for for boys and men, we really focus on this musculature and the the activity associated with it that you can't sort of quote-unquote get from just mm-hmm. changing the way you eat. So we encourage boys and men to be in sports. We encourage them to, to be strong and to participate in some kind of activity. And then that activity starts to look a little obsessive. And sometimes it starts with just a little like, oh, he's so committed. He loves that class so much. And he wants to go to another one or he's out running because he wants to be a really good whatever star or player. Yeah. Or so I think it's that little bit of obsessiveness, mm-hmm. which is built into the sports culture a little bit. Sure. And so it doesn't seem like a problem to start with. And then it gets a little more obsessive and a little more obsessive and a little more obsessive. And parents find themselves wondering, I don't think this is normal. Right. And I always tell people, when you get that feeling, I don't think this is right. Pay attention to it. Because you're, you know your child best, mm. right? You know when something's not right. Mm-hmm. And if it doesn't feel right to you, it's probably not right. Mm-hmm. I just had a conversation with some parents the other day who said those exact words. Like, well, it seems like it's kind of off and we, we're not sure if we should be worried. And I think it's an interesting thing that we've, we've sort of, in a way, society does to parents. That, that parents worry about other things. If, if their child had a rash... Uh, and went to the doctor. The doctor wouldn't say, yeah, I don't really know if you need to be worried about this. I think you're overreacting. Mm-hmm. And really, it's, you know, it's just because it's crawling up his leg and covering the whole back of his leg, it's fine. <laughs> yeah. Just come back when it hits the rest of his sure, body. Sure. Right, that would never happen. But for some reason, when it comes to weight and eating and potential eating disorders, we have, I think, because of the stigma around eating disorders and the lack of information, we have this like, oh, I'm probably wrong. Mm-hmm. But parents are almost never wrong in in that when they suspect something might be an eating disorder or starting to be an eating disorder or a body image problem, they're almost never wrong. Mm-hmm. And so I usually say to parents, if you get that feeling, then you need to start looking around. Like, what else do you see? Do you see that your child being obsessed about working out and have they changed the way they, they eat? Mm-hmm. Are they skipping lunch or they're too busy or they're just not hungry or they've already eaten? Are they asking you to buy certain things? Are they not really eating during the day, but at night you see them on the couch with a whole bag of, of Doritos? Sure. Uh, are they doing something with their eating that sort of fits a pattern of you're obsessive about moving, your eating's a little off, you're maybe a little isolated, something's wrong and I'm not quite sure what it is, that's the time to really pay attention because you're probably right. That's such good advice, I think, is just to really follow your gut instinct because when that red flag goes off in all of us who have children, we're right on. Mm -hmm. And we just have to trust that. We do. That's such good advice. Thank you. 
So you had mentioned that with men sort of striving to be bigger, maybe not necessarily thinner. I'm assuming that you also see boys and men who have crossed that line into steroid use, Mm -hmm. excessive protein powders Mm -hmm. and stuff like that, and other muscle enhancing substances. Mm -hmm. And that's where you also are able to work with people who have sort of crossed that line into the substance. Right. Okay. Yep. Some people come in with those kind of behaviors. They're using steroids that they often get via the internet, Mm -hmm. uh, or they're using some other dietary supplement that's promising them something around energy or uh, getting rid of fat or something like that. Uh, A lot of people use excessive protein powders and have shakes that are, you know, protein plus protein plus protein plus an egg plus some milk plus some yogurt. And we worry about those things because of the, the negative impact they might have on the body. And I think those are also red flags that if you your son is in a, a martial art. So we're not even in a situation where the bulking up to play football would be the expected course. Mm. With somebody who's in a martial art who the focus is on strength and power and skill and not necessarily on size, but still that sort of idea of I must get lean and I must work out. And if I'm going to change the way I eat, maybe it's to eat more protein so I can be more lean, so I can avoid whatever. That anything that really changes the way that somebody eats in a way that feels not quite right mm-hmm. is, again, really something to pay attention to. And then when when somebody shows up with all of those behaviors, that's one of the first things that we sort of walk back from. Got it. So, you know, you're having 12 times the amount of protein somebody your age needs. You don't need that much. Your kidneys don't like to process that much. And we want to be able to help you get back to eating in a real way. Would you have a friend over and be like, hey, buddy, here's a protein shake for dinner. Yeah. (laughs) And, And that's another litmus test that I say to parents that when you look at what your child is eating, would you serve that? to your child's friend if the friend is over for dinner. Yeah. Right? If you're if your child, your son is sitting down with a protein shake and a and some hard boiled eggs yeah. or some chicken breasts, would you put that in front of his friend? Like, here you go, here's some yeah. chicken breast and a protein <laughs> shake. <laughs> It just seems weird. You'd never give that to your friend. You probably wouldn't give it to your son's friend. Right. Um, but yet if your son is eating, it feels sometimes okay, but right. not. It's that same sort of like use a little bit of a litmus test to say, would it seem normal if another child was doing it? Probably I not. love that scenario, though, because I never thought about that. Yeah. In realistic behavior, would you serve this to mm-hmm. a guest? Would you serve this to your son's friend? Yeah. That's good. For parents who think that maybe their son might be struggling with this before any huge obvious signs, mm-hmm like finding steroids or something like that. Is the conversation different with boys than it is with girls? I think it's probably pretty similar between boys and girls. I think it's coming from a place of concern. Like, hey, buddy, I'm concerned. Okay. Like, here's what I see. I'm concerned. And you sort of lay out your concerns, which is a different approach than I think you have a problem, right? That route doesn't generally go so well. Sure. Uh, they're like, I'm, I'm just concerned. I know it's it's complicated and it's your body and you sort of give all those adolescent development pieces. I know it's mm-hmm. your body. I know it's your mm-hmm. life. I know you're developing these skills and I'm still your parent and I'm still worried about this thing. Right. The thing to remember, and I think this is complicated but really important, that when the people who end up getting eating disorders or getting sort of stuck on eating disorder behaviors, part of what they're experiencing is a change in how their brain is experiencing food and weight and thinking about eating and thinking about their body. And, and why that change happens, we're not entirely sure of yet, but we understand that the genetics of these illnesses make some people more susceptible to have those changes happen hmm. when they change the way they eat or they have more excessive exercise or they're, they're doing something that influences the body's perception of 
are things okay? Hmm. And so changing the way that you eat or be excessively exercising sort of tells your brain, uh, something's not quite right. I'm not sure what it is, but something, this is something to pay attention to. And for some people with that genetic predisposition, the paying attention to that experience in their brain becomes really compelling. And so that people often, often parents or, or educators or somebody will say, oh, well, you know, he or she is just sort of doing this behavior just to get attention or because it's, uh, you know, it's just a fad, they'll snap out of it. Um, for people who are displaying eating disorder behaviors, their brain is probably kind of comfortable mm -hmm. with that experience, which seems so weird. Like, how would a brain be comfortable with kind of semi-starvation or excessive exercise? Mm -hmm. But there's some pathways in our brain that for some people feel kind of okay when they are getting enough to eat and they're they're excessively exercising and they're really obsessed about food and weight. And you think, well, why would that be? <laughs> What's the point of that? It's similar to how some people are really able to stick with something, right? Athletes mm. who are really able to, to persevere despite the pain. And and that's lauded in society, right? Like, sure. oh, wow, that gymnast broke her ankle and she yeah. went back on the vault. That's what a awesome. Trooper. What a trooper. What a trooper. Like, what? That's, <laughs> yeah. So we reinforce that. But that experience of people who can do that, their brains are wired in a way that let them do it. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, they wouldn't be able to. Like, most people wouldn't be able to do that. Mm -hmm. So the same thing happens for people who develop eating disorder behaviors or a full-blown eating disorder, that their brain doesn't experience it as that negative. Then their brain experiences changing their behaviors as really negative. So the idea of, like, oh, I have to eat more or I have to stop exercising as much, that feels really overwhelming and scary. Which seems counterintuitive, like, why would it feel bad to eat a more normal amount and exercise a more normal amount? That's but their brains like... have become sort of used to that experience, and now you're asking them to become uncomfortable. So you're asking them basically to kind of rewire. Yeah, right. Wow. And that takes time yeah. and practice. Right. right. Anytime you want to rewire a habit change or anything else that your brain has sort of gotten used to, we have to practice rewiring it, and it's uncomfortable. It is really <laughs> uncomfortable, yeah. right? And that that I do this simple little thing with people that if you we're, we're wired certain ways and changing it is difficult. So if you if you just put your hands in your lap and you cross your hands, one of your thumbs will be on top. Hmm. And not everybody's thumb, same thumb is on top. My right thumb is on top. If I cross my hands the other way, so my left thumb is on top, my brain is sort of like, it doesn't really feel all that comfortable. <laughs> yeah. But I know that there are millions of people out there for whom the left thumb on top is perfectly comfortable. So if I switch my thumbs back and I open my hands and refold them and my right thumb is back on top, my brain is like, oh, that's so nice. Yeah. That's brain wiring. Right. Right. That's just how I was wired. From birth, I liked my right thumb on top. Yes. And some people like their left thumb on top. And so that's really what we're asking people to do is rewire into something that's not as comfortable. Yes. In the beginning, at least. And so we're really, you know, they sort of changed the behavior. It's become pretty comfortable. Now we have to help them to walk it back yeah. to a different place. And that process, when kids get resistant or people get resistant in treatment, like, I don't like this, this feels terrible, get away from me, stop trying to help me, you're just trying to interfere, mm. this is miserable, because it is yeah. miserable. It actually is. It actually is. And it's not because they're just being a pain or being a pest, it's miserable. Yeah. Thank you. I, I feel like you answered all of my questions. I, I, I hardly had to ask you anything. Is there anything we haven't talked about that you feel is important to add to this conversation? I think the only thing I want to add is for... For parents who are going through this with their child to, to bring other people in and let other people come in, even though those people are probably going to say some of those exactly very unhelpful things like, I don't know why you just don't have him eat a little bit more, or sure. are you still letting him go to practice? Whatever. Like, why can't he just eat a little more and stop exercising? 
except the fact that unfortunately that's kind of what people are going to say to you. They're going to yeah. say really unhelpful things like, have you tried sure. doing this? And as a, as a parent, like, really? Do you yes. think I haven't thought of that? Like, I've already tried that. <laughs> and of course, those loved ones in our lives are trying to be helpful, sure. but helping them to understand that it's not just so-and-so has got a behavior we need to change and it's just inconvenient. Eating disorders are a mental illness mm-hmm. that sort of the path to an eating disorder is paved with brain changes that are influencing the way that people think and feel. Mm-hmm. And it's not as easy as just making some little adjustments. Yeah, And that sometimes helping people understand that some people just get these illnesses. Some people get other illnesses. And we need to help people to understand how to help us mm-hmm. because it can be a really frustrating experience for parents mm-hmm. when they're helpful friends and family things like, have you thought of? Yeah. So doing some preemptive education and being willing to talk about it, I think is really helpful. So if somebody says something like, well, have you thought of doing such and such for so-and-so to say, you know, I have thought of that. And I thought about another 400 options like that. And the reason that those things are hard to do is because this is a brain illness or this is a series of brain changes that are really hard to undo Mm -hmm. and to help the, the helpful suggesting friend to understand and not be afraid to talk about it. I think that parents feel so much stigma, like, oh, was this something I did? Did I say something? Was it my fault? It's not your fault. It's not that you said something. It's that your child has is developing an illness that mm-hmm. some kids get and some mm-hmm. adults get. And that's unfortunate, but it's not your fault. Mm-hmm. And so how to how to help avoid stigma and shame, um, sort of buying into that in society mm-hmm. and really just letting people know, like, yep, this is what we're struggling with. Here are the things that we're doing. Here's how you could help. Mm-hmm. And it's probably not helpful when you say these things. Mm-hmm. So really being educators for their own good, mm-hmm. not just to sort of change the world, although yeah. that's nice, but really educating their friends and family so that they don't feel so alone. And also to know there's help, right. like what you guys do here at the EMILY program. And I was on your website last night kind of looking through, and there's just so many amazing resources and blog posts and articles. So I think if you're interested, that's such a great place to start to to kind of familiarize yourself with, with what this means and get your kind of head around this. So thank you. This you're was welcome. so helpful. Good. Thank you so much, Jillian. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to Parent Town. If you have any more questions about the Emily program and the important work they do, please check out their website at www.emilyprogram.com. It's such a great site for more resources and links. There is a wonderful blog there as well. Please check out our website at www parent-town.com. Like us and share the podcast on Facebook. We really appreciate that. You can listen to us where you listen to all your podcasts under Parent Town Podcast. If you have an idea for a show, we would love to hear from you, so don't be shy. Thank you to Greg Ward at Studio Arcade and to Park States for our theme music. Again, thank you for listening. I'm Heidi, and this is is Parent Town.